one, episode five of the podcast, where Jordan White and I, Jared Dubin, talk to our guests about interesting subjects they're interested in that are not their day job. On this episode, which we recorded in November 2017, we talked to actor and producer Brian Yang about multitasking in Hollywood, working with his wife, who is a director, and the the whitewashing and representation of Asians on screen on both TV and film, as well as the pay disparity for, you know, one of the issues in the news right now is pay disparity for women. You know, obviously there's also pay disparity for people of color. And we talked to Brian about that as well. Jordan, I've known Brian for a while. This was, I believe, the first time that you talked to him. And uh, this was really fun. Um, Brian has a, a super interesting perspective. And I would talk to him about pretty much anything. But I'm interested to hear, you know, especially how, how you felt about talking to him about this in particular. I thought this was great. Um, I think probably my two favorite parts were talking to him about what uh, an everyday Hollywood life is like, you know, not someone who just makes hit after hit, whether that's as a director or as an actor or anything else, but someone who like actually makes a career out of this in terms of, you know, how many different hats he wears, uh, how he got into doing all those things. Then also uh, the issues of representation and whitewashing uh, were really interesting. Um, You know, just to hear his perspective about how, you know, now it's all, it's all coming up and it's kind of in the collective consciousness. Whereas, before it was like it was in like Asian consciousness and people of color consciousness, but it wasn't in like us, like white dudes. Like we didn't really think of it, and now now it is. Um, so yeah, I, I thought those were the most interesting parts, and also like how Brian takes it upon himself to lift up his his community and make sure like they get theirs. Yeah, one of the things that we talked about was the idea of being in the room. So you're in a position to influence, you know, the kind of representation that you see on screen and not just having people there, but having accurate representations of those people there. And because Brian is a, you know, a producer and his wife is a director, they are able to influence that. And that's one of the things that in every industry where you talk about representation issues, the idea is you need more people that are not the same in the room and, and Brian having an opportunity to do that, you know, I think not just because he's a smart and interesting person, but also because he has a different perspective than a lot of other smart and interesting people, you know, due to the fact that he's an Asian American man is a really valuable thing. And, you know, I'm excited to, to watch the rest of his career. I've, you know, seen, if you're familiar with the insanity documentary, Brian was one of the producers of that. If you've watched Hawaii five Oh, you may have seen him act on that show. You may have seen, you know, his and, uh, and his wife's films at various film festivals over the years. Uh, their most recent film, I believe, had a, a, a festival run over the last few months and uh, has gotten great reception. Uh, I Can, I Will, I Did, which is supposed to be a very good film. And I just I just think Brian's really smart, and he had a really good perspective on all this stuff, and it was great talking to him about it. And um, let's let you listen now. This is season one, episode five of That's Not My Job, talking to Brian Yang about... Hollywood and a whole lot of stuff that it goes along with it. Jordan, we have Brian Yang here. Brian, thank you for doing this. How are you? I'm good. It's good to see you again, Jared. Uh, nice to meet you here, Jordan. Happy to be here. It's, uh, it's good to see you. This is the first one we're doing live, so this will be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got, sorry to throw, throw a wrinkle in your plans here. Yeah, well, it took us a little bit of time to figure it out, but we have it figured out. And now, and now we're going to talk about, you know, two things that I personally find really interesting because I'm fascinated by the business of TV and movies just as much as the actual TV and movies. And 
you know, one of the things, you know, the whole concept of the podcast is like, that's not my job. But the first thing is actually your job. It's just that you hold a bunch of different jobs, which I think is interesting in itself. So I'm wondering, you know, when you started acting, did you always plan to go into producing eventually too? No, no. I had no idea what a producer did at that point. <laughs> uh, I think most people still don't know what a producer does. Yeah, I'm one of them. <laughs> they think it's like, a, oh yeah, I see that at the, the top of the credits of a show or a movie and produced by executive producer, associate producer, uh, line producer. People are always like, what, what, what is really a, what does producer mean? Uh, when I started acting, which was in college, um, at UC Berkeley, go bears. <laughs> when Jason Kidd was, was around, not to bring this back to basketball already, but, uh, <laughs> Lamont Murray, Jason Kidd, the magical, uh, sweet 16 run against Duke. Uh, I had to get my plug in there. Um, I, you know, I just got into the theater department there and, you know, I was so young then I, I didn't even know that I wanted to necessarily be an actor because I didn't really understand what that entailed you know the business of acting and getting an agent moving to hollywood all that stuff so much less you know producer i didn't know i didn't know anything at that point so uh all i know is i fell into the theater department i really loved you know performing arts doing plays you know that that was what i latched onto at first and it wasn't until much 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 later after i went through a uh my i guess my first you know, life, I guess, maybe first, like, I always kind of joke, it's like I, I, I shifted gears because I went from doing one thing to then going into business and then eventually finding myself, uh, you know, what I do now, which is acting and producing. So my business background, when I first moved to New York, I had a desk job. Uh, that's kind of what got me, my mind, you know, open to not necessarily producing, but laying the foundation of working in a corporate environment. And understanding with sales, marketing, you know, just because I always say show business, film and television is like any other business. It's just that we make movies or TV shows or digital content today instead of, you know, what someone else does, making a widget, a car, food, whatever. So, so yeah, so I didn't know at, at first, but, you know, I, I eventually found it and uh, that's what I do now. Yeah. And uh, so one thing that's obviously like super noticeable looking at the, the films that you've produced is that a lot of them have heavily Asian, heavily Asian American casts. Is that something where you felt like you had to produce things like that in order for them to get made because you didn't see them elsewhere? Is it just something you gravitated to because that's who you are? Yeah, no, uh, I, I definitely think the former. I think uh, I I decided to put on the producing hat because because I wanted to, uh, after being an actor for so long, just an actor and, and seeing the, you know, the landscape and the dearth of, you know, positive, complex, three-dimensional layered characters or narratives coming from the Asian American community. Uh, you know, I had heard this growing up. I still believe in it now that, if you want to see the change, you got to be the change. And so, you know, that's just kind of how it goes in this business and really in any environment, be it sports, you know, business, entertainment. I think, um, you know, the, the, the other side of the camera, if you will, you know, like the, the people that, that are uh, behind the scenes, they, when they think of things, you know, it's dominated by 
you know, let's just call it what it is. It, society is dominated, especially in the business world, white males, right? And that's not, it's not a knock on white males. <laughs> I'm in the room with a couple, I think, right? Or, yeah. And uh, so, uh, so we are, uh, we're usually kind of invisible when it comes to these things. So in order for us to get a seat at the table, you know, we have to, we have to kind of change people's perceptions or, or their lens by, by educating, you know, by, by, by uh, getting into the executive rooms, writing, producing, you know, getting control, seizing some of that, you know, that power, if you will, and, and being able to, to uh, really affect change. Because again, like, it, it works both ways. It doesn't matter. Like if you are, whatever box you sit in, that's probably your comfort zone and what you think of through your lens. You know, if I'm a, a black woman, I think about those issues a lot, right? So it's just, that's, you know, in this day and age with the diversity push, with, you know, the, the fact that the country is becoming multicultural, more multicultural by the second, um, I think it's a good thing. I mean, that's just kind of how society works. We have to come together. And, and uh, so as an Asian American, for me, it, it was definitely very important to, to uh, promote these moving images of, of other Asian, Asian American, you know, uh, actors. And so, you know, now finding the balance of what works and what doesn't work in, in terms of turning that into like a really profitable uh, piece of business. Uh, that's a whole nother conversation, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, so that's, that's always kind of been at the core of what I, what I do, what I believe. Was the reception of, uh, of those films, was it different between audiences? Like, the, like you were talking about like predominantly white audiences versus Asian audiences or other PSD audiences? Mm-hmm. The reception of films with, with Asian Americans in them? Yeah, yeah. Like, like your films, like you're saying, like you're saying like it was your, you feel like it was like your job to like get in the room and get more people in the room. And since there aren't a lot of films like that, like right. uh, or weren't being made yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I, I came up at a time in, you know, like in the late 90s when I remember started going to these you know, they had these Asian American film festivals like in San Francisco, the Bay Area where I grew up. And, and you know, Justin Lin, who's now like famously known for doing the Fast and the Furious franchises uh, and Star Trek. And, you know, I think he's, he's making a Cinemax show now. But he his first movie, his first couple movies, you know, came through those ranks. And I really like I, I had never seen anything like that before. You know, you had outside of your sort of like obviously your Bruce Lee martial arts movies, Jackie Chan, like things coming from overseas foreign cinema that had Asian faces in them. Uh, we didn't see like a lot of Asian Americans, you know, homegrown, uh, you know, English first, second generation, like myself born here, uh, characters or storylines in, in film or television. You know, a lot of times we were caricatures or, you know, always portrayed as either, you know, the, the, the Chinese food delivery guy, the, the the other guy, the visitor, right? I can famously list off a slew of films, Pretty in Pink, uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, where you had these, like, these, I don't want to call them iconic, but these these characters of, like... Stereotypes. Stereotypes, right, that, that were, you know, impressed upon the public. And, and I always think the power of media is, like, it's so dangerous... It's obviously good and bad. There's both sides of it because you can you can educate, you inform, you 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 know you build bridges or build walls between communities through 
through what you see on television or in the movies, you know, or read about, right? Like, so there's such a responsibility for the people that are making these things to do it the right way. I think to that, you know, for us to just, again, become a better society. I mean, things it's so, it's so trivial. You go, Oh, it's just a movie. It's entertainment, but entertainment is, you know, whether it's through documentary or fiction, fictional stories, that's how people learn about others, you know, places or people, cultures. So, so yeah, it was definitely like, you know, I really felt like even from early on that that was a calling for me to, to be able to kind of, again, push our agenda, so to speak, um, to be able to, you know, better and empower, you know, our voice, if you will. So I have sort of two questions on that. Like, so first, I mean, you mentioned before, like, not many people really understand what a producer does. And you also mentioned like, you know, getting into the room as being one of the people that are the driving force behind projects. I think from my limited knowledge, it seems like a producer is the guy that is in the room and is bringing those, um, bringing those things to the screen, whether it's TV or movies. I mean, now that you are someone who is in the room with, you know, the productions that you work on, do you feel a responsibility, not just to the audience, but to other, uh, you know, Asian or Asian American actors to help them along, not just by putting them in your pub, but to help them along in their careers. And then like, I think this is sort of what Jordan was getting at with his question, where do you find that there's a difference in the reaction to heavily, Asian casts between the Asian community and the white audience community, or even like the black or Latino audience community. Okay. Um, so first part of that question, um, about here. Uh, I do, I mean, yes, I do feel like a, you know, a responsibility, if you will, to everything I get behind or create, I, I, I have a, you know, it's 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 in my sort of like agenda, I guess, if you will, to find a, a character, a story, or a position on my on my production. You know, it could be a director, it could be the, another producer, it could be it could be someone on the crew. Even like it's just, I, I think it's just being very mindful of creating an environment that's. Um, not just that, you know, I'm not here to say everything I do, it's, it's Asian Americans across the board. Like that, trust me, does not work as a business. Yeah. If you want to find footing in mainstream and to me, again, the business side of this, you have to find ways to monetize like that becomes, it's so insular that then there's really no business there. Um, I, I'm, I'm always like thinking, look, how do we make this diverse, right? How do I get an Asian actor into the storyline? How do I, uh, employ an Asian American director, you know, um, nowadays, you know, China and Hollywood are, are kind of always trying to figure out how to work together. And that's become a very interesting piece of the conversation for me too, on a, on a regular basis. And we'll get to that. (laughs) And and we'll get to that. Yeah. And so, so yeah, I, I do find it, uh, you know, I guess, um, somewhat of a responsibility, you know, that I, I don't want to be the spokesperson or like, it's just solely on me, but I think as far as being, one person in this game I, I think of myself as just like a foot soldier uh it again it goes back to if you want to see the change you've got to do something about it whether it's giving someone an opportunity creating a character so that you know someone else can benefit from that um you know whether it's developing uh, financing distributing you know there's so many aspects to what a producer does in the the long tail of what 
seeing a project through from beginning to end. And again, it's just, you know, I do a lot of panels where I, I'm actually like the Asian voice, mm-hmm. you know, in the last few years alone, like as Hollywood has gotten more, you know, cognizant of like trying to, you know, increase the dialogue across communities. Like, you know, I find myself doing a lot of talking on behalf of our community, which is, you know, it's nice. I'm like, it's a little scary to think that I'm the guy <laughs> that you guys are picking, but, uh, you know, I think it's just the results of just kind of being around and, and uh, having made some things that people hear about. And so, uh, so it's good. I mean, I think it's, it could always get better, but, th- and, you know, we've come a long way since when I first started in the nineties. Um, so, so yeah, so that's, that's definitely top forefront of my mind on a regular basis. And then the second part of that question, which was uh, about the, the audience reaction, you know, compared to, I would imagine, you know, Asian American audiences obviously appreciate seeing people like themselves on screen, mm-hmm. you know, like it's not something I have to worry about because 95% of the people on TV and movies look like me. <laughs> but, you know, do you notice a difference in the reaction between, you know, white audiences or black or Latino audiences or anybody else? When they watch an Asian American? Yeah. Like, say, for instance, like Fresh Off the Boat? Yeah. Um, I think, uh, I think there is, uh, it's interesting. I was just talking about this yesterday with somebody, like, because we so seldomly see, at least, you know, let's, let's, if we go back just even 10 years, we never saw, we didn't see an Asian American family. I mean, Margaret Cho had a show called All American Girl for all of like nine episodes and it got canceled very quickly. And so, uh, so, you know, obviously America wasn't ready for that and, that was 20 years ago. And, and so now the success of fresh off the boat, you know, uh, master of none, we kind of claim because, you know, South Asian, East Asian, we're all from the continental, you know, our ancestors of, of, of that part of the world. Uh, and that's you know, something that comes up too. Like people just say Asian, you know, there's Koreans, right. there's Chinese, there's Indian, like it's different. Yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. And so, uh, so it, it's, and, and those shows obviously have gotten, really good ratings mm-hmm. you know seasons four two through four you know two i think master nine obviously is completely second and and there's no end in sight you know unless unless they choose to end it because uh you know i i don't i think the ratings are still very good so uh so i think that's a reflection of society and and other people because if you if you were just getting marketing to asian the asian american community in the states to try to rely on ratings you'd be dead in the water we, we don't have enough people in this country to like to to base a business off of, you know. So so this means the show is going across right cross borders, if you will. Right. Yeah, like, like, I watch Blackish. You know, it is a show about black people and very much about black experiences. I'm a 30 year old white guy. I love it. Like, I, I right. couldn't be better. Yeah. Like, no, I, I, I'm so encouraged to hear that. And I do think um, the fact that you know, again, these ratings are strong is reflective of that very mm-hmm. thing you just said. It means all of America is watching it, you know? So, um, so that's, a, that's definitely progress in my book. And, you know, I know of at least four other shows that are in development or already in production mm-hmm. that have like Asian themes to them. Um, Justin Lin, as I mentioned before, is making another thing on Bruce Lee <laughs> called warrior that will be on Cinemax. I think next season, um, Amazon has greenlit something. Netflix has something. So, you know, all these all these big networks and studios are very mindful of. You know, we we have always been obviously within the community thinking. You know, every time it's, there's a divisive issue in Hollywood, it's a black and white conversation. Mm-hmm. But where where does that leave the other people? There's still a large pocket of people, and so I think 
you know, the Academy this past year was reflected in that they, you know, welcomed in a record setting number of Asian Americans into their, into their ranks. I forgot the number. I mean, it was obviously, it was a little bit like, okay, you guys are, it's very reactive Mm -hmm. because they were complaining, but you, you know, okay, if that's what it takes, you know, then, you know, people protest and rally for a reason and, and they hope it does something. And I guess in this case it did. Absolutely, without a doubt. Uh, social media has changed the the, the entire world. I mean, uh, it, as it particularly relates to what you just asked, um, I mean, Constance Wu, speaking of Fresh Off the Boat, who plays the mother, um, she, this is this is an interesting, you know, story. And I, I, I don't know Constance, but I was just observing from the sidelines and I've talked to people who did know more. Um, you know, she... She, I think she started the hashtag or somehow she elevated the hashtag uh, about white saviors in, in Hollywood, right? I don't know if you guys caught on to that, that whole thing. And this was after the Matt Damon uh, Great Wall fiasco. Uh, <laughs> I'll call it a fiasco because uh, that, that, that movie bombed. And I'm not placing blame on, you know. Oh, it was clearly the ponytail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, it wasn't it, Matt Damon, no fault of his own. Um, the director, who was a famous Chinese director named Zhang Yimou, interest, you know, he, he had no idea uh, who Constance Wu was. He had no idea what this white savior syndrome meant. He, he wasn't thinking about that, and, and, and obviously Matt Damon wasn't either. And until Constance Wu either started or really elevated this movement, it was something that I think a lot of people in Hollywood had never even considered. It wasn't even a second thought because they just were like, oh, my gosh, we didn't realize that, you know, you're right. Every time, you know, Japan is about to go under siege or – China is about to be destroyed by aliens or monsters or whatever it was in, in this movie. Um, we have Tom Cruise or we have Matt Damon saving the world or saving that nation. And it's like, why, why is it always that way? And now look, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I recognize that those guys are bona fide box office, you know, uh, movie stars. They, they get butts and seats. They headline a movie. Um, at the end of the day, the color that matters the most is green in Hollywood, as it is in any other business. Um, but I think the beef that, you know, Asian Americans had was just like, well, at least be cognizant of it. At least respect the fact that you're, you know, you guys are always like just steamrolling, you know, over the, the, the story. Anytime it has to do with like cultures coming together, the default hero is always a white guy. And, and that's, that's. All we, we just want you to be cognizant of that, be more sensitive to that issue, right? And so, so uh, social media, I mean, without Twitter or hashtagging like that, I, I, you know, there's been watchdogs since the beginning of time. I mean, you know, in LA, there's all these people and organizations that have been like writing letters to the studio heads and everything. But I got I, I think that just falls on deaf ears. Either the mail never gets to the top or, you know, for whatever reason, it's not publicized. So they can kind of just mute it. But now that it's out there for everyone to see, 
who has a Twitter account or whatever, I mean, then, you know, there's strength in numbers and suddenly people are caring more or more tuned to it. So, um, so yeah, I, I definitely think, and there's so many other issues that social media has, has, uh, you know, enabled, um, our community and other, any community really to be able to, to, uh, galvanize them and, and affect change. So, you know, thank goodness for Zuckerberg and all these people. Yeah. I mean, and look, that's, that's something, you know, the social media outcry happened with a bunch of other movies too. And that's, you know, whitewashing is something we can get into a little bit more in a second because it's a deeper, I think conversation, but I want to go back to something on the multitasking first, because you know, that then why, that way we could get all of the, the, the whitewashing and the white savioring <laughs> at the same time. But, you know, um, there are a bunch of projects that you've done that you have either produced and acted in or produced and your wife worked on. So uh, I'm curious about two different things. First, like how do you balance um, acting and producing like on a particular project? And then like in terms of navigating what you want to do in your career, and then what is the marital dynamic like when you are producing one of your wife's films? Uh, good question. Um, I, I generally don't like to act in what I produce. Um, I think there's, you know, a lot of a lot of struggling actors will create roles for themselves and, uh, you know, basically give themselves a job because no one else is. And, and uh, you know, it's worked. I mean, most famously... I'll, Go back to him again, Matt Damon, you know, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck wrote, produced, you know, did everything uh, for, for uh, Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting, thank you. Uh, and look at that, got them on the map. Sylvester Stallone wrote himself a role for Rocky, got himself an Oscar. So look, the, these are the extremes of, of success. Uh, so it can happen. I'm not, I'm not saying it won't happen, but I, I guess, um, I guess maybe, maybe my, <laughs> to my fault, as that that's detrimental to my acting career is I, I I got a good business sense from working in the business world, and I realized that in order to make movies uh, be successful, you have to cast you have to cast recognizable names or people that have you know ideally right. Um, so you try to go try to sign regulars from TV shows, other people of note. You know you don't always get them, but but uh, that's that's a better business decision if you're making a movie about yourself and you're not, no one knows who you are. You better have an Oscar award winning thing to, to wind up looking amazing. Mm -hmm. Otherwise it smells of vanity project, uh, desperation, whatever you want to call it. So, so, so we should not look out for the Brian Yang story <laughs> written, directed, produced, <laughs> right. line produced. No, by Brian Yang. exactly. No, that will never happen. Um, I keep my producing and acting very separate. Uh, I, I would say if I had to quantify it, which I did on a recent another podcast, I'd say I, I'm, a, I'm an actor about 25% of the time, 75% of the time I'm a producer. Um, I'm really 100% producing because even when I'm acting on someone else's project, um, I'll often be, you know, during lunch, during between scenes or whatever, even though I'm on someone else's set acting, uh, a lot of my mental spaces <laughs> thinking about uh, a script, you know, the project that I'm prepping or, or currently producing because my acting gigs are, you know, like I'll do a guest star on a show. I'll, I'll go in for a day, maybe two, and then I'm, I'm, I'm out. Right. Um, so there's a lot of free time. There's a lot of downtime. So, uh, so I'm always on with the producing hat and 
you know, I'm, I'm able to juggle the two. I mean, a lot of actors, I think, are they, they take their craft so seriously and they can't think of anything else. And and I respect that. But I, I'm just, you know, I I don't necessarily have ADD, but I <laughs> I need to be able to. I can't just sit there and and prepare as an actor. There's so much to me. That's there's so much downtime. Um, you know that I just need to fill it with with doing something productive. And and to be honest, like. Producing is also, you know, uh, that's what gets me through a year because acting is um, acting is very fleeting. You know, like you get some years you're on and you're hot and you're lucky that you're 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 generating good income or residuals are good. But trust me, there's a lot of slow years. And so, producing, getting a producer fee, and and having a steady balance of different projects because as a producer, I, I have numerous things. I mean, they're all at different stages, um, but it keeps you more gainfully employed. Uh, as far as like the marital dynamic, I mean, I, I've done two movies with my wife and we're, we're working on a whole set of other ones, but two in the can as it were. And, uh, I mean, look, she's probably gonna listen to this, <laughs> honey, you're the boss. <laughs> uh, she, she's look, she, she's a writer director. She went to AFI in LA and, um, a producer director dynamic is, is, um, you know, and then if you add in the layer of being married is, you know, it can be very seamless or it can be very like, uh, I guess volatile. And I'm not just saying this cause she's listening or will listen, but it is very seamless because, um, I'm very good on the business side and she's really good on the creative side. And she doesn't like, you know, to borrow some, someone else who said this, I don't know if this was a saying until this year or if people <laughs> have always been saying you stay in your lane. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I, you start hearing it a lot now, but I, 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 I feel like it became a thing after the whole Lonzo Ball thing. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Oh, but, yeah. um, we did a whole other podcast on the stick to sports. Okay. So. All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, we stay in our lanes and, uh, and it works out well, you know, so uh, she, she's, a, she's a really good writer. She's got a great director's eye. And then I'm the guy who goes out and gets... I get the money, I get the cast, I, I do all the, the, you know, bring all the elements to the table and then sell, market, take it to film festivals, all that fun stuff on the backside. So, so yeah, so it works out well. Uh, and it just, it's easy when you're in the same house, you know, yeah. it's like we're, I mean, there's pros and cons to it. I work with other filmmakers too. Um, so it's not exclusive to my wife, but, but when we do work together, um, it's very easy. So Louis, you mentioned the, the white savior earlier with the great wall and then you know whitewashing is not a problem that only happens with asian roles but last year and the year before in particular it seemed to happen over and over again with asian roles whether it was like scarlett johansson and ghost in the shell or tilda swinton and dr strange and whatever that emma stone movie was where she was supposed to be half asian aloha why did it happen so often and like so many times in a row with asian like do you have do you have a sense of why that happened so much with that well you you think last year alone yeah, like or, last year alone it seemed like it was everywhere because like you said it's been happening and yeah. it doesn't just happen to Asian roles. Um, it's been happening certainly for a very long time with, with the Asian American community. I think it got more pronounced last year because going back to what Jordan brought up, the social media aspect, mm -hmm. we, we've evolved to, to 
you know, time and place where social media has enabled everyone to, to with a Twitter account to be able to talk about it. So, you know, five, 10 years ago, uh, we had to write letters and try to get a newspaper, you know, article printed. And, and oftentimes there was a pass, you know, and the only people talking about it were uh, Asian American. You know, there was a magazine called A Magazine that I actually uh, grew up reading. It's interesting. This guy, Jeff Yang, started. Jeff contributes to the Wall Street Journal now. He's He was in our documentary, Linsanity, for a hot second. His voice interviewing Jeremy after he dropped Kobe. Dropped 38 on the Lakers. I won't say on Kobe. Uh, but, um, you can say on Kobe. <laughs> <laughs> so so, uh, so Jeff's, Jeff was, a you know, to me, like a pioneer in, in, in bringing up these issues. But I think they just kind of, they were, it was, again, so insular because it was like just like within our community, you know. But social media has really you know, allowed anyone to read about it, whether you want to read about it or not. Now, I do think maybe... 2016 or whatever, 17, the rash of them happening in succession may have been a little unusual. Um, I think that goes to, uh, if I had to offer my two cents, this is not scientific, and I don't even know if the studios are aware of this or the people calling the shots on those particular projects, but Hollywood is running out of ideas, right, if you've noticed. <laughs> no, there's no reboots <laughs> on the air. Yeah. Like so, uh, yeah. Says the guy that was on a reboot, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so reboots, adaptations. Um, you know, borrowing. You, you've probably famously heard of like The Departed was actually you know a famous mm-hmm. Hong Kong movie. Um, so many remakes, right? From Asian stories, right? So so Hollywood is like, okay, we're, we're we can't come up with an original idea that works anymore. So we have to go and redo something that was successful because there's already a built-in audience or go to another country and cherry pick like some awesome story there and convert it. Right. So, so as a result of running out of good ideas, they're grasping at, at things that they find or think are original or will work because at the end of the day, they want to make money. And so so then you get an instance of Ghost in the Shell, mm-hmm. which was a popular Japanese um, story, right? So, um, so I think I think there's some of that happening because there there's and then as a result, you're going to get caught in a pickle because it's like the purists who are like, oh no, this was actually you know written and intended for an Asian character. Like, why are you bastardizing bastardizing it by you know putting a white person in it? So. Um, you know, so I think that's probably contributing to the to that whole thing too. Um, and they didn't. They again, they go into it with intentions of we just want to make money. Mm-hmm. We didn't realize it was going to become a politically controversial, you know, decision or move. So, oh crap, you know. So we and then social media adds on to it, feeds the fire, and and you you have what we have now. So, um, you know, it's. Uh, Again, it's. It, I think it's just important to talk about it, be aware, and on, on all sides, whether you're a person calling the shots at, at Warner Brothers or an audience member who just doesn't realize, you know, but now is being educated. So that. So I don't think anyone is out there to. This is all. None of this is all coming from a place of maliciousness. Um, but when you tick off a lot of people, I think it's important to to realize. Oh. Oh crap! I didn't realize we made this mistake, and so that's where I think that all comes from. As as you see, even though it's incremental progress, but as you see 
more uh, people being let into the room and like more like white creators uh, like responding well to these issues. Is your reaction one of like I don't know? Is it elation, like you're happy, or is it like exasperation, like we've been talking about this for years now, and you guys are only just now listening? To this? <laughs> uh, I think. You know, I'd be lying if I didn't say it was it was some of that, the latter, um, because, yeah, we have been talking about it for, for years. And I'm like, this is not, you know, the white savior syndrome has become a thing now. But but it's, you know, maybe we didn't call it that exactly because that became popular through a hashtag. But it but that very, very thing is is something, you know, we've seen since the beginning of of Hollywood, I, I would argue. And so. Um, but you have to get over that very quickly. Cause it's like, you know, you, as humans, we want to move forward. If you get, if you're, if you're just going to be stuck in the mud and, 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 and keep hammering, you know, the same nail, like you're, you're not going to get anywhere. So we will, we're in this to make progress. We're in this to, to make money. We're in this to, to, you know, look towards the future to a better future. And so, um, so I think it's more, more of the former, which is like, uh, you know, I don't know if elation is the word I would use, but I, it's, it's, you get over the exasperation quickly and you're, you want to take the opportunity and, and the fact that everyone's finally attuned to this on the right, you know, everyone's, everyone's on the same page um, and, and be able to do something with that. So the fact that all these projects are getting greenlit, the fact that there's more, um, you know, I, I personally see it myself, like every season shows come out they need to cast an Asian person. Right. And, and they're mindful of, and the, uh, of that is like, it's, it's almost to the point where it's like, okay, they're overcompensating. I feel like sometimes, but, but Hey, that, if that's what it took to get here, then, then so be it. And so I think it'll balance out, but it, it's good. I see more Asian people in the writer's room. I see more Asian, you know, people getting to direct episodes, uh, you know, so both behind and in front of the camera, it's, it's definitely, definitely working and so um so yeah so it's overall it's a good thing uh, so i there's one area i don't know if you have an opinion on this but so i was just uh reading this article about this uh comedian hard condobolo who's uh producing a whole documentary on why he hates apu from the simpsons uh-huh. and how it's just like this huge stereotyping character of uh of indians and i'm wondering if there's a similar issue uh, with Asians in cartoons or animation as well. Oh yeah, I mean that issue is you know I think we all grew up on The Simpsons whether we liked it or not. Um, but even the issue of of the you know Apu is something that is near and dear to me. You know, like you just said, like uh, Indian South Asian is different than East Asian, but we're definitely in the same you know maybe not the same boat. I would say, but like we're you, you know, say that you're fresh off that boat. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're uh, <laughs> we, uh, you know, we have our different. We have different challenges, but they're very similar in nature. And so, you know, there's a lot of organizations set up for like Asian Americans in Hollywood or you know in media, and and they include South and East Asians at conferences, panels. You know, um, Asian American film festivals will screen you know, uh, South Asian films as well, or Asian films made by South Asian filmmakers, um, as well as, you know, Chinese, Korean, Vietnamese, American filmmakers too. So, uh, so 
Apu, even though is you know Indian, is that immigrant sort of uh, immigrant stereotype of of a quickie mark guy working and you know being voiced by Hank Hank Azaria, who you know dodged the filmmakers' request for interviews. I, I just read this. And uh, I actually wanted to go see the film last night. It's playing at Doc NYC, but it's also coming out on True TV on Saturday. So, <laughs> like, uh, like a like a young, young person today, although I'm not young anymore. Who goes to movie theaters when you can sit at home and watch it on TV? Um, <laughs> but uh, but it's definitely an issue that that you know my specific community faces too, and we can relate to it in a, in a, in a large way. Um, I think. I think especially, you know, the Simpsons, um, gosh, the laundry list of, of offenders, right? Uh, whether it's, uh, what's the other, Family Guy. Uh, I mean, they're all on Fox, right? Like, there's probably three or four of them over the course of time. Um, the Cleveland Brown Show. Uh, I, I don't know, Bob's Burgers. I think that's on Fox, too. Yeah. So, oh, I have to admit, I haven't watched Bob's Burgers, and I, and I do know one of their their main staff writers is actually this Asian American guy who actually, did you know, is, is the guy who plays Brian on master of none. Oh really? His friend. Yeah. He's an actor named Kelvin. You. Yeah. I believe mm-hmm. he, uh, he's a writer. He's a staff writer. He's been on staff at Bob's burgers since the beginning of that show. And, and Bob's burgers somehow is like lasted for like 15 years, but it's also like, I don't watch it. I don't, I, I didn't even know. Like, it's amazing how successful it is. Under I don't the watch it either. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I, I know that a lot of times in animation, they, yes, they, uh, caricaturize, you know, Asian characters, whether East or South Asian. Um, and you know, I, I don't know why it is in, in animation. They, they, they feel more, uh, you know they they can hi- you know what it is they it's hide, easier to get away with they hide behind the the mask or that shield of saying oh it's you know it's animation therefore you know we make fun of everyone right like you, you can South Park also right like I've read in interviews I think where Matt Stone Trey Parker they they say like well we make fun of Jews we make fun of the gay and lesbian we make fun of African Americans we make fun of everyone like it, you know if you guys can't take a joke. And, and stand-up comics hide behind this shield, too. Um, you know, if we can't joke about anything, what are we going to talk about? Like, you know, that whole attitude of kind of like, you know, just take a chill pill and relax. And so, you know, it's it doesn't mean it doesn't bother a, a segment of people when you joke about them. And, and there are plenty of shows that are plenty funny than not necessarily at the expense of any group of people. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, and then they'll... They'll say, I think what it is, all right, because they'll say, well, then we, I make fun of white people as bad, if not worse, than, than, than I make fun of other people. There's a lot to make fun of us about. <laughs> so, so I, and I get you have the right to do that. Uh, I think what it is is that, it, for me, it's not like comparing apples to apples because, because there's such a discrepancy already with the, the lack of positive portrayals of, of people of color, right? It's easy to pick on something or a, a segment of the population when when you can go to these tropes or these stereotypes that are formed over so many years and generations, and then just just continue to to do the accent, continue to talk about how bad Asian women drivers are, continue to like you know just oh Jeremy Lin, can you even you know whatever all the bad jokes that were that were floating around out there, um, so 
it's just it's so one-sided you know that that's why when you're when you pick that cheap easy way out it just feels like you know it feels exactly that it's like you you couldn't come up with something new you couldn't why do you always have to go back to that well and then and then for mainstream america sitting there watching you know their weekly show and they see that again and again it just keeps feeding that 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 notion that you know these people are like that and so so i think that's where the beef comes in i mean i think sometimes it's funny to be honest with you because you know i'm a human too and it's like yeah i can take a joke but when it's so one-sided when it's continual you keep going back to that well i think that's where the issue is and and then obviously when you do something like you're the white guy doing the accent oh man forget it that's all bets are off like I'm not surprised Hank Azaria is dodging, you know, the filmmaker. Um, uh, he, re- he even, I think he says he knows that it could have been controversial and yet he still went and did it. And that's, I don't know, in this day and age, forget about it. Like, he, you know, cause I know he started, this was like Simpsons was created what in the nineties. Um, yeah. It's been a long time and he just stuck with it, but it, you know, it's coming to, you know, bite him in the butt now, but you know, we'll see. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, Look the uh, the accent, and it's it's different when it's not a white guy doing it. But that was you know the subject of one of the Master of None episodes was you know Aziz's character refused to do an accent. Um, but one of the things I'm curious about too, you know, we talked about the the whitewashed movies. One of the things they all have in common was that they cast a white actor in what you know quote unquote should have been an Asian role. People got angry about it, and then they went ahead with the white actor in that role anyway. And mostly the movies did not do well. Um, Recently, I saw a story about the Hellboy reboot where Ed Screen, the actor who was the original Dario on Game of Thrones before he got replaced by Mikael Huisman, um, and he was in Deadpool also, um, but he was cast in what was originally, you know, quote unquote, supposed to be an Asian role, and people flipped out about it, and then he dropped out of the role, and he was like, this is wrong, and I'm not going to be in it anymore. And look, having a conversation about whitewashing and crediting the white guy with progress is probably just about the worst thing you could do. But it does seem like it's at least a step in the right direction that you have someone who, you know, is a successful actor who's not like a huge star in the world and probably could have gotten something good to happen at for his career out of that role and was like, you know what, this isn't right. And this should go to somebody who does not look like me. Mm-hmm. No, look, Ed Scran has basically cemented his status in the Asian American community as like an honorary Asian. <laughs> he, he uh, that move was so classy and so uh, he's so woke, right? As they say, that I, you know, I don't think he did this on purpose as a move to, you know, I'm gonna like make sure that. You know, I, I win the favor of the Asian American community, but but that is he he quite simply did, and you know Daniel Day Kim stepped into the role, which uh, you know obviously I'm very happy for Daniel, and, and it was the right thing. And and Ed, you know, I don't know him, like I said, he's definitely in my book now, like forever going to be a classy guy. Got a big fan here, and I know a lot of folks in the community feel the same way. And so that's that's exactly what this boils down to. You know, is like you know. I just said it, but, but, but being woke, you know, as fuck, if I may say that, like (laughs) woke AF, because we have been talking about this issue for so long. And this is the first time that that we, you know, at least consciously know of 
someone doing something like this. And it's like, oh my God, finally. It was like a watershed moment. It was really, you know, um, you know, again, it's just entertainment. It's just a movie. But the repercussions of something like this are so huge, you know, that beyond just the obvious, you know, like it's, uh, I mean, there's, there's just so many things that, 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 that move was, was so classy and on point that, you know, I can't say enough about how, how, you know, it was almost like a, you could almost hear a collective, like, you know, like a really standing ovation, elation, uh, coming out of the community because of, of, and my, you know, my, my, my social media feed obviously lit up like crazy because, you know, I tend, I do have a lot of subscribe to a lot of Asian American entertainment, you know, or, or, or individuals, influencers, people who are in the business and, and everyone was like wanting to adopt this guy basically. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, you mentioned earlier that, that, that there are several shows that you know about that are going, going into production with, you know, heavily Asian or all Asian casts. One of them, right before you got here, there was an article that just released about it. NBC is developing and producing a pilot with nearly an all-Asian cast. And I want to read the description because I think it makes an important point. Um, this is from you know one of the Hollywood websites that I don't remember which I pulled it from. Um, <laughs> and it says, uh, The untitled drama, which received the script commitment at the network, revolves around a family-owned Korean electronics corporation that is rocked when its CEO dies on the eve of launching their American subsidiary with his real, his will revealing the existence of a previously unknown heir. Kim based the concept on the Korean Chabels, uh, multinational business conglomerates like Samsung that are run by ruling families and then often go through success and drama. It's described as a multicultural soap, the modern day story of Anastasia, an ordinary woman who grew up halfway across the world in the U.S., unaware of her elite status as corporate royalty, to inherit fame, wealth, and influence beyond her dreams. Her emergence ignites a Shakespearean battle for power amongst her newfound siblings in the L.A.-based drama. So, first of all, that show sounds good. Mm-hmm. Second of all, it sounds exactly like you might hear as the description of literally any show ever, but specifically focused so that the characters are Korean. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, be- between this and things like, you know, we talked about Fresh Off the Boat earlier, which is, you know, a successful show about Taiwanese family in America, uh, which is, I think it's in its fourth season now. But look, like, the fact that I can name the two all-Asian shows, like, off the top of my head says enough. Hmm. And the fact that Fresh Off the Boat, like you mentioned earlier, was the first one in, like, 20 years says enough. But, like, with all of these studios so badly wanting to appeal to China or the rest of the Asian marketplace... Why did it take so fucking long for people to be like, we should put more of these people on TV? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, I, I think it's uh, that's the first time I heard of that show, by the way, which I'm now very curious about. Um, I think is, you know, um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but, but the, the stats reveal that uh, nowadays movies uh, make 70% of their box office overseas. It used to be the other way around. It used to be heavily uh, an, an American They just film. don't get to keep as much of it, but they make more of it over there. Right. Well, when it comes to China specifically. Yeah. yeah. But I, I'm talking about the world at large. Like, So a film would be made, an American film, Hollywood movie would be produced. And it used to be like, like people could give a shit about foreign, foreign income. It was 90% U.S. box office. And that they're like, that's it. We don't care about China, Japan, Korea. 
Europe, whatever. I mean, the world at large. Now it's completely flipped. You know, 70%, so a good majority of your income is coming from overseas. So, so as a result, the studios and, you know, I would argue television travels too, because a lot of series rights are sold overseas are, they're like thinking, oh no, you know, the world is getting smaller. You know, technology is, is people are traveling more. People are more educated. Like, you know, all these things that are feeding into us becoming more connected to each other, even though distance wise, we're still, you know, thousands of miles apart from everyone. Hollywood product still travels because everyone, no matter if you live in China or Chicago, wants to see the best quality produced stuff, the action, the, you know, the fantasy. Uh, and so, you know, Big Bang Theory, uh, I don't think it's on anymore, but uh, Two Broke Girls, uh, up the other one that was, it was, a, it was a high school, like, um, upper, set in New York, WB show. I can't remember the name of it right now. But Riverdale. Which one? Riverdale? No, not Riverdale. It's been canceled. Um, a few years ago. Like an old show? Yeah, it's an old show. Like the, what's it called? Uh, Gossip Girls? Gossip Girl, yeah. Thank you. Uh, this guy's knowledge is impressive. Uh, I watched too much. To <laughs> okay. I don't know if you guys know this, but these, these, these shows were the most popular shows in China. Really? Yeah. Because Chinese people are fascinated with watching... Uh, American culture and life, right? I mean, I would say uh, anyone on this planet is. I don't care if you go to Africa, Mexico, like you go, you you go to some bodega, and people are if they're not watching their local culture, sh- like hit shows, they're watching like you know some big Hollywood thing, right? Yeah. Well, that's like you see um, like baseball players not from America or basketball players not from America. They're all like, I learned English by watching Friends. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. That's right on point. So. So, uh, so now that most of the revenue is coming from overseas, the, the, the powers that be are more mindful of, okay, well, then we need to start creating storylines and inserting characters that are more reflective of, of not just our American society, but the world at large. Because we know if we cast a big star from, from say, you know, this market, Korea, that we can get that box office from over there. You know, so you've seen shows like you know, or movies, uh, Snowpiercer, uh, for instance, which had Chris, it was directed by one of the biggest directors in Korea. Chris Evans starred in it and they had a whole host of, Tilda Swinton was also in that one. Uh, but it was a very multicultural, you know, cast and storyline. And that's been adapted to a TV show as well. Because mm-hmm. Hollywood can't think of, once they find a good <laughs> idea, they're going to milk it to death. So well, that happened also with, um, what was the show? I can't remember the name of the show, but Priyanka Chopra, who was like a huge star. Right. Quantico? Yeah, Quantico. Yeah. And they basically made that show so they could get her on TV. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, this is this is what, what it's come to. And I think, I mean, it's a good thing. Like, you know, the, the fact that we're not necessarily making movies or, or shows just for our American audience. It's really the world stage now. Um, you know, it's it's we should take this as a, as, as a real opportunity because again, going back to the beginning, I said media, film, TV, that's how worlds learn about each other, right? For better or worse. And hopefully we're, people are doing responsible storytelling. So it's for the better. Um, you know, we're not just leaning on stereotypes or tropes or showing people killing one another all the time, although that happens. Um, but you know, stories inspire stories, stories, 
uh, educate, inspire, um, you know, elevate society. And so I always think even though it's like trivial, like entertainment seems like, oh, that's like a world that is, you know, it's just when I want to turn my brain off and just relax. But at the same time, you know, it's there's such I can't I can't understate or overstate rather how how uh, important and responsible we are as the people behind these things to, to do it, the, do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So all those facets of casting it the right way, telling the right story, um, figuring out the right formula to, to, you know, get the best message out there that we can. It's, you know, that's, that's the daily struggle. You know, it's, it's not easy to find something that works, but that's, that's, um, that's the conversation that everyone's having now. Because because our shows and movies are going all over the place, uh, they want to try to get money from everywhere they can, and so you put that all that together, and, and I think that's what that's the by, what we're seeing now is a byproduct of all of that. It, it kind of because it kind of brings everything full circle too, because you know we're talking about Hollywood can't make anything new, and you know the the idea of representation like Hawaii Five O was a remake of a show from like 1968. And, you know, you have two stars who are white guys and then two, quote unquote, co-stars who aren't lead billing. But, you know, when I watched the show because you told me that you were on it, uh, <laughs> I knew who Daniel Day Kim was and I knew who Grace Park was. I did not know who the guy who was the ostensible star of the show, uh, Alex uh, O'Loughlin, was. And I had to look up who he was. But, you know, Daniel Day Kim was an original and one of the longest running stars on one of the most popular TV series of this century and lost race park was on uh, Battlestar Galactica. One of the big stars there, they are well-known figures that were important figures on that show that were in every episode, but like four or five. And then when they came up and like, they're in all of the promotional material as like equal people on the show. And then when it came up, like we want to be paid the same way. CBS, uh, maybe I shouldn't be talking about this because it's CBS and they pay me, but <laughs> I doubt they'll listen to this anyway, but you know, like, it came up and they were like, well, we offered them substantial raises, but they weren't willing to go equal there. And that's, again, like you said, it came up on social media, it became a huge thing. And they were just like, you know what, we're going to cut ties instead of bringing them on equal footing. And it's not just representation, but pay equity is a big thing too. Like these are two very well-known actors. Dan- Daniel Day Kim is a, a Korean and Grace Park, I think is Canadian with Korean parents, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're very well known and they are just as well known as the quote unquote stars of the show, but they, the, the network still wasn't willing to go there for them. I mean, that seems like a pretty big issue too. Yeah, it's absolutely a huge issue. I mean, I, I think, look, it's, uh, there's a lot of layers to, to that particular story. And even though I was on the show, I have to admit, I, it's not like I'm privy to Mm -hmm. negotiations and everything, but from what I'm, I've heard after the fact from, from some of my friends who are still close to the situation, uh, knowing Daniel personally. Um, I mean, I know Grace personally too, but like I've kept in touch with Daniel a little more. Um, I think that, I think it's an issue uh, because from day one, this is how they were treated. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it shouldn't have been because to your point, like prior to day one, it's arguable that, Grace and Daniel were bigger names than, you know, anyone else on the show. Um, especially coming off the very hot success of these, these mega hit shows, you know, that you mentioned. So, um, so I think that's definitely something that needs to be examined. 
Um, and, and the fact that, again, it took a, a kind of a bad example to wake people up. Mm-hmm. But as long as people are open to waking up, I think that's, that's all we can hope for, right? I mean, we could hope for utopia from the get-go, but that's just not how it is, unfortunately, mm-hmm. right? So it takes, it takes uh, some failure, some controversy. You know, some like some something like this to happen to be. Oh, oh my God! We didn't realize. Okay, we're going to f- rectify the situation and going forward. It gets better, and that's that's. I hope so, right? I, so now I will say, uh, not that I'm defending anyone, but like Daniel is doing awesome. He's gonna be fine. <laughs> you know, I think he uh, is such a. Uh, he narrated this really good documentary. He narrated this great documentary. Yeah. Uh, that's right. Called insanity. If anyone uh, hasn't seen it yet, um, who produced that? Who produced that? Uh, I think some guy on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> but but Daniel Daniel's such a um, you know he's he's going to conquer the world. I really feel like he's going to become more and more of a, a major player in the space, both as a producer. I mean, obviously, he's a very accomplished actor, but as a, as both on camera and behind camera. Um, you know, Daniel is is already getting to become uh, a force in 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 the system in Hollywood. I don't know if you're aware, but I mean, you watch a lot of TV. Good Doctor, yeah, is his show. Okay, he actually brought that to life. He he found the original source material, which was a show in Korea, got the show rights and brought it back to Hollywood and put it through the system, and and it's now the number one rated. Uh, Definitely the number one rated news show. I, I don't know all those exact statistics, but I know it's like top 10 on a regular basis. And if you factor in like the plus minus three DVR, whatever, you know, factor, it becomes like the top show period, uh, which I was like, wow, you know, like we're talking more than CSI maybe and all that other stuff, but it's doing very well. And, uh, and you know, his new production company has got a lot of other stuff in the pipeline. So I, I, you know, my, my point to that is like, I think, um, you know, he had a really successful run on the show with five Oh, obviously. Um, he's also like ready to take on the world. And so I think the pay inequity was definitely wrong from the get go. Uh, perhaps there was other things about by the time that seven, eight years had passed where people were thinking about other things too. So, you know, but uh, but if that whole issue is only gonna get the 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 people who sign the checks to to think twice down the road, I'm all for it. Yeah, that's what I was gonna sort of wrap up with was how do you stop things like that from happening at the jump? I mean, is it more um, you know whether it's you know Asian people, Asian American people, Black people, Latino people in those executive chairs? Does, does that quote unquote solve it? Does it have to be where it's, you know, these old white guys that are mostly in those chairs now realizing how wrong it is, like a combination of both. Like what's the, the way forward to get to the point where even if they're not the necessarily, like if they're going to be on equal footing in terms of, you know, the promotion and work on the show that they get paid equal from the start. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, uh, Yes, you got to have uh, you got to have more people in those positions behind the scenes who it's you know to them it's just second nature because because perhaps they are a minority themselves and they they see the world in a more balanced way because because again the sort of the default 
narrative or the the what you think of as people holding power or are always more prominent, you know, are look and are a certain way and age. So when you get like a young black woman in in the you know executive chair, she it's not going to be an issue. She's going to be more attuned to that, right? Mm-hmm. And so in order to to get everyone more on the same page, yeah, it's just continue to have to be like a, a push and a you know I don't want to call it a struggle, but like you know encouraging and opening dialogue and, and making sure that that those who aren't mindful of that who aren't kind of born into it, it's not necessarily innately ingrained in them that they understand and learn and you know so so it is it is a struggle but it's i don't mean to say it in a way where it's like it's oh god you know like we're being oppressed we're being you know we have no hope we have no future like it's it's definitely you know i think we have to be as patient and mindful uh of 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 the other as the other are as patient and mindful of us, you know, so like we, we gotta, you reap what you sow. And I think it's just, it works both ways. So, so I don't think anyone should be coming at it with any sort of vicious or a, some sort of like mentality of attacking the other. I think it's just, it's just educating and empowering. So, uh, society's getting better. I'd like to think, I mean, we could, you know, another podcast talk about, you know, <laughs> the politics, but you know, I, I think as far as let's, if we're just keeping it within the Hollywood system, um, look, Hollywood's getting cleaned up now. Yeah, left and right, you know, for for matters related to diversity and otherwise. And I think it's it's a good thing. It's a good thing to get to the the underbelly of the poison and the lack of education, the ignorance. Whether it's like I said, it, you know, ignorance is not a good thing generally. It's not bliss, but I know it doesn't actually come from a place of maliciousness. And then obviously the stuff that is malicious, it's all getting swept out from under the rug right now. And that's, it's a good thing. So I would be happening to a worse set of people. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, uh, so yeah, so we got to be optimistic. We got to keep looking, you know, looking up and looking forward. So, um, you know, hopefully another 10 years when we do this, maybe five We'll be talking about how much more progress has been made. So that would be nice. And, yeah. uh, you know, like you said, everybody's got to play their part in it, whether it's actors, writers, producers, directors, anybody. Absolutely. Uh, hopefully that gets to that point. Brian, yep. thank you so much, man. Uh, really appreciate it. This was great. Anytime, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Thank you.